So we are in Acts chapter 4. If uh, you have your Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there. Acts chapter 4. Um, I struggle to think about what to title this one because there's quite a few important themes in it and I think some important things happening in here. And um, I think most of us have been around um, for these lessons, um, but let me just quickly just bring us up to date again. It's the, the, the previous chapter, chapter 3, started off with the, Peter and John going to the temple at 3 in the afternoon, 3 p.m. They're going to the temple to go pray. Um, by the gate, entering the temple, there's this paralyzed guy lying there, and he's 40 years old, so he's, he's been paralyzed for 40 years. And he sees them from a distance, and he decides that he's going to beg from them. I sort of pointed out that I think it was a good place to relax with your legs that has never worked before and beg because um, you're going to meet religious people here by this beautiful gate because they're going to pray. So you, you, you're begging off the prayers, the, the prayers. You're begging off of them. And so Peter and John says, look at me. You mean something. You're significant. You're not just a scumbag lying there begging for something. Look at me. I, I want you to see that I acknowledge you. Silver and gold I don't have, but this is what I have I give to you. And for significance in tonight's lesson, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I was asked by Jason today, like, which, which are some of the events that I would like to attend in history? This is one of those events. I wish I could stand there by the gate and see his face when his, his ankles strengthen and, and Peter reaches out and helps him up and he Walks for the first time ever. And Peter and John go on their way to go pray. Because remember that's where they were going. To pray in the temple. And the guy follows them all the way. I can imagine he's, he's leaping up and down. And he's shouting to everybody. Hey, that's me. I can walk. And some of the people inside the temple. They've seen him at the gate. And now suddenly he can walk. And I, I think he was a known figure. If we read the text. Pretty known. And the... The question that I've raised is this. The apostles performed many miracles. Why is this one recorded? And last week I indicated, because the text that we looked at last week, the next section of text is, when this guy went leaping and jumping in the temple, people started flocking to them, to Peter, John, and this guy. The Bible says he was holding on to them. He didn't want to let go. These were the guys that helped him walk. And so the people in the temple, they are flocking to Peter and, they, and then Peter says, okay, well, it seems like this is an opportunity that God has given me. Um, why don't I just preach to you guys? And so all the people are there in the temple, and Peter starts preaching to them. And he preaches a very powerful sermon to them. And, and remember, that's the second sermon that we pick up so far that P Peter preaches. Now, we've always, I have definitely emphasized Acts chapter 2. And we forget about these other events. So um, um, for me, this is inspiring to just go through these stories again. And just to sort of step back and see the bigger picture. Acts chapter 2, the gospel is preached for the first time. There's a sound and then a sign. And a sound, a sign, and, and the gospel is preached. And people repent. Then we find here in chapter 3, there's a sign. There's healing. There's a sound. The guy is leaping up and down, praising God, the text says. And the people flock, and the gospel is preached again. It seems to be the same pattern. 
right? And, and, and then Peter stands up and he preaches to these guys. He's got a captive audience. And as I said last week, it's pretty daunting to say what he said. Jesus is the Son of God. He, God said that's who he is. But you guys, you killed him. That's pretty bold. And so he says, you guys need to repent and have a change of mind. Tonight, we are looking at what happens next in the story. I want you to keep in mind that we are past three chapters now already. And we haven't heard of Christians being persecuted. In chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, we see a thriving church that's just growing and the people love them. I believe that what we've experienced here in last week's text and continuing in this week's text is just one story, right? I, I believe what we're seeing is the introduction of the gospel in the temple. Do you think that's important? I think it's extremely important for the Jews. The gospel has been produced outside the temple, in the streets. That's where the gospel was first proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, guys, okay, we got to take the gospel into the temple. You know how we're going to do it? We're going to use a beggar by the gate to get in with the message. Because we have to bring in the attention of the people. We cannot preach the gospel without the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. If he's not involved and he doesn't plan it, we can stand in our heads. We won't be able to get it done. The Holy Spirit, I believe, planned this. It happened at a specific time, specific place. And they go into the temple and Peter preaches the gospel there. Well, in the text for tonight, Peter's going to preach the gospel for a third time. But this time in a different place, <laughs> as you will see tonight. All right, so let's read it. We'll just read through it and talk about it. And feel free to just stand up, nod your head, look at me funny. And if you really want to say something. Okay. Now, picture this. They are standing still in the temple and they're preaching. Peter and John and this guy. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is the first time the gospel is opposed. The first time a Christian is thrown into prison we have here. The text says in the Greek that they came upon them violently. It's not like, hey guys, can we have a chat quickly? No, it was like, we need to grab these guys, and we need to restrain them, and we need to remove them, and we need to imprison them. What struck me is, I've asked this question, why does it say the priests, the temple God, and the Sadducees? Why would it be a problem for these three specific categories of people? I think for the priests it was a problem, because the priests were the authorized guys in the temple. They were authorized. Who's Peter? Who's Peter? I mean, that guy's nothing. He's not a priest. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. You know what he is? A nothing. A fisherman. Now imagine you are a priest in God's temple. You're a Levite. You are holier than holier. And, and then you see this guy in his fisherman shorts 
and his sandals, smelling like fish. He's standing over here and he's preaching to everybody. What are you going to think? In the system. You're going to think, who's this guy? Who gave you the right to come here into the temple courts and start preaching stuff? Secondly, who's the temple God? The temple God was the person that was responsible for harmony and peace in the temple. He was a type of a, you could maybe call him a, a soldier, a keeper of peace. And maybe I had some other guys that worked with him. To make sure that this place of worship is kept neat, quiet, and holy. But this guy who's just been healed, do you think that he created that? Oh no, I think that threw everybody into confusion. And then you have these guys preaching, and so that grabs the attention. So, so the preaching grabs the attention of the priests. The attention, they grab the attention of the, the guy who's guarding the temple. And then thirdly, the Sadducees. That's an easy one, right? What was their problem? It's, it's about what they were preaching. What? The resurrection of the dead. These guys, I don't think they believed in angels. Just help me with this. I, as far as I remember, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the eternity of the soul. And never even, don't even talk about the resurrection of the dead. That's not going to happen. It was a theological impossibility for them. These guys are standing in the temple proclaiming this. They believed only in the Torah. How do we make sense of this? Well, I think this is, this is why these three specific group, groups of people took on uh, them. The text says that they were disturbed. That they were grieved by what was being preached here. Which, and the Greek word indicates it was a mixture of indignation and, and anger that they have. I want you also to keep in mind, how long have they been in the temple? They went to pray at what time? At three. Now it was dark. I don't know which time of the year it was. But maybe three, four hours. So all we've been dealing with so far is a space of three, four hours. And we've already, we're already in the second chapter. So if Luke puts this down for us and he, he spreads out three hours. I mean, it's, it's very rare in the Bible that we have three hours spreading over two chapters. The detail, right? So this is important, okay? And the beautiful thing is, despite this, look at the church. It grew to about 5,000. Um, and the Greek word there for men is aner, which means male, so the scholars would tell you that the church at this stage in chapter 4 is about 15,000. Usually what they say is, is that it's a 3 to 1 ratio. You, 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 you multiply it by 3. So you have about 15,000 men, women, and children in the church in Jerusalem. This is incredible, incredible growth. So despite them being arrested, the church grew. You check that? That's crazy. I read a quote uh, the other day that said, the, um, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. It's the sacrifices that these people made that let the church grow. Throw me in prison, that's fine. It's not going to stop the growth of the kingdom. Okay, Kill me, that's not going to end it. It's just going to make it worse. Even at this morning, speaking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr., what's the first thing they did when he died? Like, now we're on fire. Now we really want to fight for this thing. Let's have a national holiday for him and what he stood for. So, death doesn't seem to end noble causes. It fuels it. All right. Verse 5 to 7. The next day, so now these guys are in prison, right? They've been taken from the temple. Who could imagine you go to the temple and get arrested? Well, they did. 
The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Yes, their question. By what power or what name did you do this? They find themselves here, we believe, most scholars would agree with this, they find themselves in the Sanhedrin. First the gospel is preached in the streets. Then the gospel is preached in the temple. And now the gospel is preached in the headquarters of the Jewish nation. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a plan here, man. He says, I'm going to take you. He's taking them to the highest authority in the Jewish land. There's two names in here that's familiar. Can you see them? Annas and Caiaphas. John and Alexander, we're not sure who they are. But I think Luke is trying to tell us these are important people. The whole Sanhedrin was present. Those of you who don't know, the Sanhedrin was, I think it was 70. 70 of the top leaders of Israel that made the decisions for the Israelites. This was an important meeting. If they call the Sanhedrin together, you know, this is some serious business. These are the big guns. These are the big guys. This is the Senate. Which one's the biggest, Senate or House of Representatives? Okay, I'm tr still trying to figure out how it works. But this is probably bigger than that in terms of its authority. They make a decision and that goes. And it's not just politics, it's religion. It's all in all about the, the Jewish faith. So these guys are standing in front of them. Um, and if you remember with me, Annas and Caiaphas, Jesus stood in front of these guys. Jesus stood in front of Annas and Caiaphas. They were there just before Jesus was crucified. Um, in John chapter 18, verse 14, Caiaphas says, It's expedient that one man die for the people. Caiaphas. Before Jesus died, he said that. Prophetically, the Bible says, somehow or another, the Holy Spirit spoke through this guy and says, It's better if one guy dies for the people. And it happened. Annas, when Jesus came in front of Annas, do you know what happened with Jesus? Who remembers what happened to Jesus? He was slapped in the face. When Jesus spoke to Annas, he didn't know he was the high priest because, I don't know, I'm also confused, you know, I didn't spend too much time on this, but Annas and Caiaphas, I can't figure out who's the high priest, but it seems like Caiaphas is the father-in-law of Annas. And he's the previous high priest or something. And, 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 and Annas is the current high priest. And so Jesus was seemingly also confused about who the high priest is. And somebody just walks up to him and smashes him through the face. Where's? Oh, you're scratching your head. Okay. So, okay, so what I find interesting here is, is so I want us to picture that these guys are standing in front of extreme authority, right? And look at the question, by what power? Who would like to guess what the word is there? We've spoken about it so much. Dunamis. By what dynamite are you doing this? I mean, there's, there's an explosion here. I mean, how do we make sense of this? Things are going crazy here in the temple. How do you get this done? And, and what's, by what name did you do this? I want us to keep in mind that 
in the Jewish in the Jewish days, the reason why you would often hear people coming to Jesus and say, "Okay, well, but what authority?" How it works like this: for you to become a rabbi, you had to go through. I think it was five sort of stages, five stages to become a rabbi. Your last stage, you would be blessed in, in a sense, by two known rabbis that would bless you in. By their authority, they then sort of clear you, give you the authority to go and teach and to be a rabbi. And so it was an extensive teaching school that you had to go through to become a rabbi at age 30. Jesus, for example... He became a rabbi at age 30 as well. And the moment that he became that rabbi was when he got baptized. And this was the problem that they had with Jesus. They had the problem with his teaching because they would say, well, by, by whose authority? What's the name of the rabbis that authorized you to go around teaching this stuff? Because we don't know of anybody that's authorized you. But if you go look at the account when Jesus gets baptized, who Who are the two authorities? Who'd like to guess? There was John the Baptist, and there was God Himself. This is my Son. Listen to Him. Do you understand why it didn't make sense for the Pharisees how this guy can just go around preaching? Because they didn't know any other rabbis who approved of this guy to teach. And that's very similar as to what is happening here. Because these guys are questioning, hey, Peter, I mean, by whose authority are you doing this? Whose name? What's the name of the rabbi that you claim to be following and you're preaching his stuff? Because we'd like to have a chat with him. Is he a Pharisee or a Sadducee? We'd like to figure out why did he teach you guys to teach about the resurrection? That's legitimately what I think is, is going on here. All right. Then Peter, verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. Ladies and gentlemen, here goes the third sermon. In the Sanhedrin. Rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed today. Peter stands up in the power of the Holy Spirit and he says it straight and he says it as it is. Jesus Christ did this. Jesus Christ did this. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Yes, I said it. He raised him from the dead. The resurrection is real. And I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you kill me. This is the truth. Now compare this Peter with you know who. The Peter before the crucifixion. He's busy warming himself. Aren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. Who are you talking about? Isn't it incredible that the God of heaven and earth is like this? <laughs> that, he can, that he can give you a second chance. And Peter's like, man, you know what? This is my third chance. I don't care anymore. 
I will never ever deny the name of Christ again in my whole life. That's what Peter is saying. And I will stand in the middle of the Sanhedrin, the most feared position. Imagine you standing in the Supreme Court. This is worse than that. This is deeply ingrained in your religion, your faith. His whole life he's been hearing about Annas and Caiaphas. And now he gets to stand in front of them. Can you imagine this? I don't think we get this. It's not like Peter and Caiaphas that they were mates. Hey bud, how are you man? I saw you yesterday down the market. No, 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 no. Caiaphas doesn't just walk in the road and say, hey bud, let's shake hands. Let's have a beer quickly, bro. It doesn't work like that. These guys were holy. They were high. They were untouchable. And now suddenly Peter is standing in front of them. They had the authority to have them killed for blasphemy. And Peter says, this is it. I don't care what you do with me. Well done, Peter. Well done. You and I, we've got a second chance if we deny Christ. Hopefully. But if we do, let's be bold. Not be scared. Verse 11. Jesus is, he continues to preaching. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this is for me an incredible verse, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter, this is their response. So they're listening and they look at these guys and they're like, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And this is also striking, verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, so far, we don't know anything about that guy. I thought he stayed behind in the temple. I don't know if he slept with them in the, in the prison that night. Probably not. Maybe he went home and then they called him in the next day and say, Hey, you've got to come testify and tell us what happened here. But he's standing with them. Can you imagine the Sanhedrin? How are they dealing with this? Ooh, eh, eh. That's how we say it in Africa. Ooh, eh, eh. I've got no idea what's going on. We say it's when a cockroach falls over your head. Like, how do you make sense of this? Here's the guy standing. These guys are just fishermen. Look at what they're saying. We can recognize that they've been with Jesus. It's interesting that they would... The identifying marks of being with Jesus is that you're normal, but bold. I looked at the Greek words there. You'll find this interesting. First of all, Peter quotes Isaiah, uh, Psalm 118 verse 22. Jesus quoted the same idea. Paul elaborated on that theologically. And then in verse 12, um, you know, I'm not going to go into all the explanations, but verse 12 basically is a teaching coming from the Bible that all religions don't lead to the same place. All roads don't lead to Rome. Jesus is the only way. And um, so he says, first of all, that they were bold or courageous in this NIV. And it literally means that they had confident bluntness. I chose that word because that's the word I've been accused of, which I like. Yes. Yes. I want to be confidently blunt. But listen to this. They were illiterate. That's the unschooled word. And that struck me. Have you ever thought, do you think 
Do you think Peter could write? Well, he wrote the letters, first and second Peter. Why would they say he's illiterate? That's the Greek word. He's illiterate. Sorry, my brother, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he, his life is a, is, is, is a, is a fisherman. He's, he's definitely not a scribe. Maybe even Peter, I'm not sure, I might be throwing this out, but maybe even Peter didn't write the book of Peter with his own hand. Maybe he had a scribe. He told him what to write. It's very possible that Peter was illiterate. He wasn't a scholar, a student who sat by the books. We must remember in these days, everybody didn't go to school. In actual fact, if you were a fisherman, you were kicked out of school. Because somewhere along the line, you fell out. It's not like our world today where you go to school to 18. Most people can read and write. It wasn't like that in the first century. So they're questioning this guy. But how does he know all of this stuff? How did, he can quote Psalm 118, 22. This guy can't even read, man. I can smell the fish from here. And then he says something interesting. The third word there, ordinary. Do you know what? You know what that Greek word is? I'm going to leave this up to you. You tell me what you think it means. This is the exact Greek word. Idiotes. That's what I'm saying. That's what the text says. That's where we get the word idiot from. So, so think about this. Sanhedrin's looking at these guys. Yes, this guy's scared of nothing. He's not schooled. He's an idiot. How do we make sense of this? Well, he's been with Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes we look like idiots to the world. And people think we know nothing. Don't let that stop your boldness. There's power in that. But they could do nothing. Because here the guy was standing with him. God planted. God planted a healed man next to them. Boom. What are you going to say? Huh? What are you going to say? God was opposing the Sanhedrin to their faces. Through a healed man. Through the powerful proclamation of his son Jesus Christ. Through uh, Peter and John. The text continues. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And then confer together. Okay, you guys go out quickly. We want to have a chat. What are we going to do with these men? Yes, we've got a problem here, man. What are we going to do with these guys? And what I find interesting is that how did Annas and Caiaphas not realize what's happening here? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. The evidence is clear. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. This is for me the most tragic line, what I've put in red here. They, are telling, they want to tell them, don't speak in this name anymore. Well, it seems like you guys are the idiots. It is this name that gave this guy strong ankles. It's this name that changed his life. It's this name that gives salvation to the world. You might, might, might not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but you cannot deny that this changed his life. This guy standing in front of you. And you choose to silence that name? Are you insane? That's the name that changes the world. But that's all they want. They have no problem with preaching. 
They have a problem with preaching that includes the name. And once again, we go back to the most powerful name in the universe. The name that we use in our prayers. And I see lately there's this thing where people don't pray anymore in the name of Jesus. They just say, Amen. No. You put the name in there. Because others are trying to say the name is insignificant. No, the name, the name is everything. Well, what, what do I see here? Um, the question that I ask is, is, is why? Why do they want the name silenced? And I think there's two reasons. Because they wanted the loyalty of the people to themselves. They didn't want anybody else more powerful involved because then the people are going to start following that guy. Denominationalism. That's what it is. Secondly, it's doctrine. Their doctrine didn't want to accept the fact that Jesus was risen from the, from the dead. Their doctrine was a problem. Your doctrine can keep Christ out of your life. If your doctor, doctrine becomes more important than the name of Jesus, you're walking on very dangerous territory. And then let's, almost at the end. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, <laughs> which is right, in God's eyes, to listen to you or to Him. You be the judges, since you are the judges, aren't you? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's like, I mean, they're just innocent. Like, they're just saying, oh, look, we see this. I, I don't know. I mean, what do you expect me to do? I mean, do, shall we listen to you or to God? Now that, ladies and gentlemen, that's a huge thing to say. That's massive. Because you are saying, whoa, 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 let me hear. I'm, I'm Caiaphas, right? We are the Sanhedrin. We represent God. You're telling us that we are not aligned with God? You want to get yourself killed, don't you? There's one point in, in history where I, I attended a Bible college in South Africa, a, a seminary, a Church of Christ college, a cappella Church of Christ college. And I, 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 I did a year there, and then later on in my life, I, I, um, I preached a sermon in which I mentioned some things about my experiences at the college. Not about bad experiences, but just about the mental framework that I was taught at the college. It's like, you go to the college to be indoctrinated, not to be educated. And there's a difference. And that's one of the things I mentioned. It's like they teach you what they want you to believe. Instead of saying, hey, go research this and come tell us what the Bible says about it. You know, let truth guide you. It's like, no, let me guide you. And I mentioned that, and one guy came back to me and he gives me this long spiel and and, and took me on and said, well, if you speak against the college, if you say anything about the college, you speak against God. And I think this is very much the same what's happening here. It's like, how could you speak against us? How could you juxtapose us with God? We're the same. We are God. Oh, you've got to be very careful. Very careful human authority to claim that you are God. And the same thing goes to a certain extent, for church elderships as well. Got to be very, trade very, very carefully. All right, let's close it off. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
So what did it all come down to? Well, I don't know. We don't know what to do. We'll let you go. And Peter is walking away and he says, that wasn't too bad. I mean, why, why was I so scared at the fire? I mean, geez, when I'm ready to die, I live. And he's like, now I really like Jesus. Some thoughts from my side. The, the gospel always receives a mixed response. When you talk about Christ, there will be a mixed response. Some people will like what you say. Some people will hate what you say. For some people, you'll smell like life. To some people, you'll smell like death. Some will love it. Some will hate it. And guess what? It's not your fault. If people hate it, it's not your fault. If people love it, it's not to your credit. It's all him. Number two, no dead man has had insufficient chances to meet Jesus. Until the day that you die, God will not let you die. This is my, my opinion and understanding when I read the scriptures. God will not let you die unless you've had ample opportunity to meet him. Annas and Caiaphas met Jesus face to face, rejected him. And God is so gracious, he says, don't worry, we're going to have a later appointment. And we'll have it with you in the Sanhedrin. And I'll bring a sign for you. And they still rejected him. So that when these men stand in front of God one day, their judgment will be just. They've had every opportunity, they've rejected it. And we've got to look out in our own lives as well, that when Jesus gives those opportunities, we need to embrace it. Thirdly, people who have met Jesus are ordinary people with great courage. As simple as that. That's, that's the follower of Jesus. You're just an ordinary person. But you are courageous. Oh, to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have to have extreme intellect. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a Bible-smashing machine people smashing machine with the Bible, I mean. You just have to be an ordinary person with great courage. That's all we have to be. Jesus doesn't produce weakness. He produces power and boldness. The gospel of Christ will spread and produce fruit whether you are part of it or not. God is going to let His will come about. We can hide in a corner of the world in our little, in our little room and not be a part of it. God's going to let it continue with or without you. Now I don't know about you. I want to be part of it. And if we don't know how. We need to pray about it. But God's going to go on with or without us. Like a saying I have. Is this. Lead me. Follow me or. Get out of my way. Jesus and his Holy Spirit has the same message. You either follow me. Go with me. Get out of my way, because I'm going on. Um, what is right in God's eyes is all that matters. Isn't it so? Yeah, Peter is standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and, he's, and most people in Israel wouldn't think there's any higher authority than a Sanhedrin. They would never say these words. And he says, well, you know what? I don't really care what you say. What I care is what God says. And the same is for us here tonight as well. You might be sitting here and 
You might be hearing me say something that really contradicts what you think God says. You do what God says, not what I say, the preacher says, or the elder says, because we are humans, we can make mistakes. We care about what God says. What matters today is not what my parents think about me, or what my parents say, or what my best friend says, or what the person next to me in the pew says. What matters tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is what God says. That's all we dance to Him, we live for Him, we serve for Him, and for Him alone. The eyes of God is all that matters. And lastly, if God is praised, don't criticize it. There's lots of things that happen in places in the name of Jesus. And what we often do is, is when we find something doctrinally a little bit different about it, then we tend to criticize it and, and want to break it down. I want to challenge you tonight. Be careful of that. These guys in the Sanhedrin, they were trying to criticize what, what was happening. And they had a doctrinal reason because the resurrection cannot be real. It was real. It didn't fit their doctrinal paradigm. But they couldn't say anything. Because the, the people were praising God because of this. If anything gets people... To praise God. Don't criticize it. Leave it. Thank God that more people are oh, more people are praising God. It's like Paul is in prison and he says, there's some people here that make trouble for me. And he says, well, some of these preachers, they do preach Christ, but they don't do it for, with pure motives. They do it out of selfish ambition. What does Paul say? He says, but who cares? As long as Christ is being preached. 